And why, you know, sometimes we use the word testament, but covenant. Do you know that there are literally hundreds of times in the Bible where you find the word covenant? So let's just take a step back and ask the question, what is a covenant? Sean? Thank you. That comes from an attorney, okay? That's right. It's a legally binding contract with obligations from both parties, stipulations, or penalties for defaulting. You know, you, you, you enter into a contract to purchase a, an automobile, and they demand that you put so much money down, and then they set up monthly payments. What happens if you don't keep your end of the bargain? What are they going to do with your car? They're going to take it back. That's part of the contract, too. So it's a, a covenant is a legally binding contract that has stipulations, penalties for breaking it. All right. Are you... With me, okay? The Bible is full of covenants. Now, we're going to discover that the old covenant had stipulations, but the old covenant in and of itself was a shadow of the new in so many ways. When you look up every reference to the word covenant in the Scripture, you're going to discover that oftentimes there was another expression coupled with the word covenant, and it was to cut a covenant. We use the expression today, um, you know, I struck a bargain. You ever said that with somebody? Or, man, I cut a deal. And, man, it was a good deal. I cut a good deal. Well, where do these expressions to cut a deal, to strike a deal, to strike a bargain come from? They come back, they come to us from history. And if you will understand the expression cut a covenant, you're going to start to understand better, as Sean put it, that the sacrificial death of Christ. is dramatically connected to the new covenant, to cut a covenant. You see, in the book of Genesis, even though the word covenant is not found, the very first covenant 
was a covenant that God established with Adam and Eve in the garden after they had disobeyed Him. God had told them that they could eat of what? Every tree of the garden except for what? One. And it was a test of their complete obedience to God. And they disobeyed. And God told them that the day you eat, you're going to die. All right? I've created you. I've given you this incredible garden. You can live in it. But there's one thing. Why is it that the one thing we're prohibited is the one thing we run after, right? That's human nature. You know, don't do this. You know, you, that, you, you, know, you were a kid once. You've raised kids. A lot of you in here. And you tell your kid they can't do something, and that's the first thing you want to do. Our nature's all the same. Well, they disobeyed, they ate, and dying they shall die. And because of the kindness of God, their physical death was not immediate, but the immediate separation between them and the fellowship they enjoyed with God took place. But that having taken place, God came to them, and He made a promise that he was going to send a Redeemer that would reverse what Adam had just done, and that Redeemer would be the seed of a, a woman. The Redeemer is going to come. He will literally crush the head of the serpent. He's on his way. And then you continue to read in the book of Genesis, and you come to the story of Noah and the flood. The Bible says, because God looked down and saw that the imagination of men's heart was only evil continually, that He made a decision He was going to wipe out everybody on the earth except for one man and his wife. Who was He? And His three sons and their wives. What were the names of the three sons? Shem, Ham, and... Japheth, you know the story of the flood. By the way, there are people that believe that that ark has been seen on Mount Ararat. The Turkish government, modern Turkey, the Turkish government has sealed up that area and will not allow people to go in. But the three sons of Noah and Noah and his wife were spared. They came off that ark. And what's the first thing that Noah did? He did what? He offered a sacrifice. Why a sacrifice? Why the life of an innocent animal? Why would God take an innocent animal in the Garden of Eden, take the life of that animal and clothe them? Noah would, would offer in response to the judgment of God that had wiped out the entire world but his own family, he would offer a sacrifice in worship. And then why would God enter into what's called the Noetic Covenant and make a promise that he would never again destroy the entire world with a flood. 
And then he gave the sign of that covenant. And what was it? To this day. Every time, most, most people that don't know the promise of God in the Bible have no idea what that rainbow is all about. But you know now, the next time you've seen a rain and the rainbow displayed, you tell yourself, wow, God's still promising, giving me the sign of that promise. The world is not going to ever be destroyed by a flood. Look at that rainbow. And then you continue to read your Bible. You come to a man by the name of Abraham. Abraham. He came to Abraham and he told Abraham, I want you to leave the Ur of the Chaldees, which is in modern Iraq, and go to a land, a land that I'm going to give to you and your descendants. And Abraham obeys. He comes to the land. The only problem is Abraham doesn't have a descendant. He has some servants. And he thinks that his descendant is going to be the son, not of his wife, but one born in his house. And God said, no. That's not the son I'm talking about. You're going to have a son, and one of your descendants is going to be the Savior. The one who will be a blessing to all the nations, not just to Israel, but a blessing to all the people of the earth. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you descendants. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless those that bless you. I'm going to curse those that curse you. But in you, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed by the seed. You can come to the New Covenant and read the book of Galatians that that seed that he was promised was Christ. The blessing to all the nations. But when God came to him and told him that he was going to get all of this land, by the way, land that stretched from the Euphrates River. Where is the Euphrates River today? What country? Iraq. Land that would reach as far as the Euphrates River down to the river of Egypt. That is a lot more territory which is being, than where, where the, the, the nation of Israel is today. But he promised that I'm going to give it from here to here. And Abraham says, Lord, well, Lord, how can that promise be fulfilled? All these descendants and all this land and whatever. Yeah, I don't have this descendant. So God told Abraham to, now here I'm getting to where where I want to be in this story. I want you to take some animals, five different animals, two of which were birds, the same animals that would be used in the sacrificial ceremonies in the book of Leviticus. Take those animals, and this is what I want you to do. I want you to cut three of those animals in half. And I want you to kill the two birds. And I want you to lay these animals on the ground. And that was so significant. 
because when people made contracts in that day, when they entered into covenant agreements in that day, this was the ceremony that was used not only with Abraham but in surrounding nations. And then the two people that were entering into this contract, this covenant deal, would then, once the pieces are cut, they had cut the covenant, the two people would walk between the pieces. And the significance was that if we do not fulfill our side of the bargain, then let my life be like the life of a dead animal. See how graphic that picture is? Death for a failure to fulfill the covenant demands. Now, what's very interesting, when you look at that covenant of promised land to Abraham, it was not God and Abraham walking between the pieces establishing that covenant. You read the story and you discover that there was a scene he saw, a smoking furnace and a burning what? And it wasn't Abraham. I believe it was the two persons of the Godhead, God the Father and God the Son, entering into that agreement that all of these promises that had been made to Abraham would be fulfilled, not because Abraham and his descendants were were faithful to God's covenant demands and would bear the penalty for their own disobedience. But the one that was walking with the Father would be the heir of all things and that his death would be in exchange for his people. The cutting of a contract through the shedding of blood and walking between the pieces is foundational to your understanding of the work of Christ at Calvary. Well, that's not the only covenant in the Old Testament. The Adamic, the Noetic, Abrahamic. You continue to read your Bible and you come to Moses. nation of Israel had gone down into Egypt because of a famine. They were preserved there, and they grew up in the, in the nursery of Egypt, unaffected by the nations. But now it was time to be redeemed because a pharaoh that didn't know who Joseph was became hostile toward the people. And they were baking bricks and under slavery and oppression. And God had told Abraham that was going to happen to his people. But the time came to redeem The time came from the exodus from Egypt, hence the name of the second book of your Bible, Exodus. And after that exodus, you and I don't want to get too far in the weeds right now because I'll miss the point I want to bring you today, and that is after the exodus, God brought his people to a mountain called Mount Sinai, right? And he entered into a covenant with his people. That covenant contained Ten Commandments. You ever heard of the Ten Commandments? Yeah. Yeah. And when God entered into that covenant with His people at Mount Sinai, 
Animals were killed, blood was shed, and God told his people that if you'll obey the covenant, if you'll obey the Ten Commandments, it's going to go well with you and you're going to get to remain in the land I promised Abraham forever. But if you do not keep the covenant demands... Here's the penalty. You got the book of Exodus that contains the Ten Commandments in chapter 20. You've got the fifth book of the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Why is it called Deuteronomy? Help me out here. It's the second giving of the covenant. Duet, right? Two. And in the fifth chapter of Deuteronomos, the the second giving of the law that was given to the generation that had not died, the first generation coming out of Egypt, the older people, they didn't believe God, they couldn't enter the land, God said, you're going to be wiped out. But when that young generation was ready to enter the land, He came back and He gave them the covenant demands a second time, seen in the fifth chapter of Deuteronomy. And by the way, this is an aside. When you look at the book of Deuteronomy, that book is structured the same way that surrounding nations would structure covenants and treaties. They would begin with a prologue, a history of a king dealing with his people and what he had done for them. And then there were stipulations made that you had to keep as a people. And then there were penalties given that would take place if you didn't keep the treaty and the covenant with your Lord, your master. God structures His covenant agreement with Israel along this same pattern that was used by the nations surrounding Israel. It begins with a history. It begins with the stipulation and demands. It's followed by blessings if you obey, curses if you don't obey. That's the book of Deuteronomy. But as you read it very carefully, you discover that God told His people, if you do not keep the Ten Commandments, you're going to be removed from the land. Stay with me, folks. After he says that to them, and Moses is getting older, and he's getting ready to die, he comes back to the people, and you know what he says to them? You're not going to keep the Ten Commandments. And right there in Deuteronomy, he says, you will be removed from the land. And yet, tucked into that section of Deuteronomy is an incredible promise He comes to the people, God does, and he says this, I'm going to make another covenant with you, not like the one I made at Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai. And the reason I'm going to do this is because you can't keep the the covenant I made at Mount Sinai. You couldn't keep it, so I need to do something different. He promised another covenant. 
Another covenant that was promised in Genesis chapter 3, it was re-promised to Noah. It was re-promised in all the animal sacrifices as types and pictures. And so I read about this covenant demands, this contract with God between him and his people, a contract that allowed them to stay in the land if they kept the Ten Commandments. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. What book follows Deuteronomy? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Yeshua. Joshua. And as you read the book of Joshua, it is him as a leader taking his people into the land after God gave him the covenant the second time. You know, I think it's very interesting. It's kind of a side. Moses is the great lawgiver. Did Moses lead the people into the land, the place of their inheritance? Yes or no? No. God told Moses, you can't take the people into the land. And he had to go and look at the land from a distance, from Mount Nebo. When I was over in Israel, I had a chance to go to Mount Nebo, stand in the very spot that Moses stood and looked into the land, and I saw what he saw. He couldn't go in. I'll tell you why. The law can never give you your inheritance. Nothing wrong with the law, but there's something wrong with you. You can't keep it. You can't fulfill the covenant demands. But you know who can take you to your internal inheritance? Not Moses, the lawgiver, but Yeshua. To think that God wove that back in the names of those two men is absolutely incredible to me. And so you read in Joshua, and here the people are getting into the land. That, that is then followed by another book in the Bible, Joshua Judges. And as you carefully read the book of Judges, which is a history of Israel after they come into the land for a period of time, and how they're really following the Lord, but then they turn their back on the Lord. They disobey the covenant. God sends an oppressor, and they cry out to God, and God sends a judge, a deliverer. And there's a cycle that is repeated over and over again in the book of Judges. And as you read that book carefully with a pen in hand, you'll start marking in the margin of your Bible references to them disobeying the Ten Commandments. God is going to highlight in their history their inability to keep the demands of this covenant. As if they walked with God between the cut pieces. And they're looking down at the dead pieces and realizes because of their disobedience, that is what they, they should pay. That's the penalty for their disobedience. Out of the land and death. For the wages of sin is death. 
for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So that repeated history is found in Judges, highlighted in the margin of your Bible. What I do is I, I just list the number of the broken commandment. Command number one, command number three, command number four. And you'll discover that that's being emphasized in the book of Judges. Over and over again. And then you transition into a section of the Old Testament that is a greater history. You know, you can divide the Old Testament in three major sections. The first section with the five books of Moses is called the what? The law. And then there's this historical section of their history, Judges, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles. That's called the writings with other books. And then there's a major section called the, the law, the writings, and the, the prophets. Prophets that are preaching throughout Israel's history. We have some that are called the major prophets and then some that are called the minor prophets. It's not that the major ones were more important than the minor ones. It is a reference to the length of their book. Some were major, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. They're preaching at different periods of Israel's history. Some are minor, and they begin at the very end of your Old Testament with the book of Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. And those minor prophets are preaching to the people of God through periods of their history. Are you with me? The law, the writings, and the prophets. If you keep the law, you'll live. God says that several times in the Old Testament. He says that in Leviticus chapter 18, I believe it is, in Nehemiah chapter 9. He says it three times in Ezekiel chapter 20. If you keep the law, you'll live. Remember the rich young ruler that came to Jesus in the New Testament? He said to the Lord Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said, keep the commandments. You want life? If you're going to live eternally in my presence, you're going to have to have a perfect obedience to me. There's only one problem none of us have. None of us have. And if there's any question, read the historical books in the Old Testament and in the margin of your Bible, highlight the commands that were broken. And all of the times when it said they didn't keep the commandments, they didn't keep the covenant, it's a history of the inability of man to keep the covenant. And God told them in the book of Deuteronomy, if you don't keep the covenant, you're going to be taken out of the land, and I'm going to scatter you among all of the nations. Are you with me?
After the Exodus, there are two major events in Israel's history that the Old Testament focuses on. Does anybody know what they are? Two main events. Sean. Yes? I would say... Um, that, that the return from the exile is very important, but I, I would say that the first major event would be the Assyrian captivity. In 722 B.C., after, the king, after God had made the covenant with Moses, he came along and he made another covenant with David. And he told David that if you obey and all of your people obey. There's going to be an eternal kingdom. They'll never lack anyone, one of your sons sitting on a throne. Of course, that son that would sit on a throne forever would be Messiah, would be Jesus. But after making that covenant with David, God once again said, listen, you don't keep the ten words. I'm going to scatter you. And God began, after the reign of King David, his son Solomon ruled, and after Solomon, the kingdom was split into two parts, the north and the south. And you'll read all of this in the historical books of the Bible. And so you've got ten tribes not following Judea's king, Rehoboam, but gathering under another man by the name of Jeroboam. And Jeroboam reversed what God said about the covenant. He reversed the way that God was to be worshipped. He put idols on the north and the south of his kingdom, lest the people leave the north to Jerusalem to worship. He set up golden calves. He was an idolatrous king, breaking the second commandment. And you read your history, and it says, over and over again in, in First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, that this king followed the sin of Jeroboam. This king followed the sin of Jeroboam all the way through until God took those ten tribes, judged them using the Assyrians, ripped them out of the land in 722 BC. Why? They didn't keep the ten words. Two tribes are left. And God allows them to remain in the land until 586. And those two tribes are ripped out of the land by the Babylonians. And Solomon's temple is destroyed and burnt. The major prophet that was preaching in 722 to the ten northern tribes was Isaiah. The major prophet that's preaching in the south in 586 is Jeremiah. And so you read the book of Jeremiah just before God judges ten tribes, and you know what he's going to be preaching about? Take a guess. The Ten Commandments. And the failure of the people to keep the covenant. The judgment is coming because you're disobedient to God. You've got a heart that's disobedient. Listen to what he said to Moses. 
You can't keep the ten words, so I'm going to have to make another covenant with you. So you read of their breaking the Ten Commandments. You know what else you read about in the book of Isaiah? The powerful promise of the coming Savior who's going to get this in chapter 42 and chapter 49 be called the covenant for the people. You can't keep it. But the covenant keeper is going to come. He will be the covenant for you. In place of you. And he's known as the obedient one. The one who will keep the commands of God. But not only that. He will be the covenant for you. Taking your place in the cutting of the covenant and die in your place like the dead animals at your feet. The covenant for the people. And there are four servant songs in Isaiah Chapter 42 and 49 are a part of that section of four, the most famous of which is chapter 53, Isaiah 53. And in that chapter, you read of the substitutionary atonement of Jesus the Christ and how all the transgression was laid upon him. And you read carefully and you see the trial of Jesus right there in Isaiah 53. How he was silent as he suffered before those people that could put him to death. You read of his death in that book. You read of his burial to the very point that he would be laid in a rich man's tomb. Whose tomb was he laid in? Joseph of Arimathea. And then you read of his resurrection. All of that in Isaiah's prophecy when they were being deported because they couldn't keep the covenant. Covenant keeper is coming. He'll be a covenant for you in place of you. And then Isaiah passes off the scene. Jeremiah is there with his people. And do you realize that when those two tribes are being taken into captivity because they couldn't keep the covenant... God comes along in the 31st chapter of Jeremiah and he says the day is coming when I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel. By the way, the new covenant was made with Israel. And as you read very carefully about that new covenant, you discover God says this is going to be the impact of that covenant. It's I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and I'm going to do this. The sovereign God is going to do something in the hearts of his people. I'm going to give them a heart to know that I'm the Lord. And every one of them, from the youngest of them to the oldest of them, will know the Lord. And no one's going to have to teach them who the Lord is. They all know Him. 
I'm going to circumcise their heart. I'm going to cut away their unbelief. And their law will not be written on stone, stone tablets like it was written on Mount Sinai. He says, I'm going to write it on their what? Their heart. You know what happens to the people of God be they Jewish or Gentile, when the Spirit of God sweeps into their heart, granting them gifts of a repentant faith, He writes the word obedience on their heart. A dramatic change takes place, no longer affected by the life of Adam, the disobedient life, but I have the new life of Christ within me, and the direction of my life has changed, and now I long to obey God. That is what humanity needs. A heart change, a new birth experience, a radical change that looks away to the only one who can be the covenant for them. The demands of the law have to be kept and the penalty for breaking it has to be paid. And none of us could walk between the pieces and gain life by our own obedience to the covenant. And who of us wants to be separated from God forever, suffering the consequences of our disobedience? Not a one of us. But thank God there was one, and it is the promised seed of the woman, the seed of Shem, the seed of Abraham, the seed of David. Born of the virgin, promised by Isaiah 7. Our faith is in Him who has become our covenant. And He could walk between the pieces in total obedience to the Father. He's known as the Holy One in the Old Testament. The righteous one, the righteous branch. He's coming, He's on His way. Not only will he keep the covenant demands, but he will give his life. This new covenant is sealed through the death of Jesus. His death instead of mine. My friends, that is the message that flows out of the Old Testament Hebrew Scriptures. The coming one who will be your covenant, who will suffer in your place. That is why every one of those animals, even that Abraham sacrificed, are found over again in the book of Leviticus. Same exact animals. Because that entire worship given to them was every day and every week that they performed it, they were looking away to that one who would be their trespass offering, their peace offering, their sin offering. And that is why when you flow into the New Covenant Scriptures, it's about who? It's about Jesus. Those four Gospels, it's about Him. And then you've got all of these letters written to who? Christian people, people that put their faith and trust in Christ. And as you read those letters very carefully, you discover that they're full of calling the people of God to obedience. Obedience. That's why Romans calls it the obedience of faith. Obedience comes to your life 
through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as the Old Testament ends with the promise of His coming, this first coming, and by the way, there are plenty of scriptures in the Old Testament that speak of Him coming a second time. But that is why those new covenant scriptures end with the coming of Jesus. I want you to think about that. And I think if you can digest that little bit that I shared with you today, you can start jumping into sections of your Old Testament. A historical section. And you'll look for disobedience. Highlight it. And you'll read the prophets and you'll see them listing the breaking of the covenant. God is setting the entire world up to look face to face in a mirror at their own disobedience that they might look away to Christ who obeyed and died in their place. He is the answer to our sin problem. And the problems of the world are not political. The problems of the world are spiritual. Why all the politicians will open their mouths and say whatever they want to say, you won't hear them preaching Christ. But we, the people of God, while I'm a citizen of this great country, my friends, I'm a citizen of heaven. And I'm looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. And I'm in the kingdom of God. That kingdom that was pictured in the Old Testament with the kings, I've entered. And that land, that physical land that was given as an illustration of an inheritance that they get by faith, even so, my faith in Christ has brought me an eternal inheritance. He's the heir of all things. And I'm a joint heir. He's changed my heart. And I want to obey. Chew on it. And we'll look into some other things next Sunday. So we're going to end We're going to end by receiving...